This is a place. This is a place. This is a place. We want to talk about. This is a place. Welcome to this week's episode of This is a Place podcast. My name is Nate, and with me is a guy that the closest he'll ever get to being in the military is playing Call of Duty on the Xbox. Brandon. I can't tell if that is a... If you're throwing some shade at me, if you don't think I'm cut out for the military... I know I'm not cut out for the military. I'm too big of a sissy. I know I'm, okay, I know I'm not either, but I just don't want you to perceive me as that. I wouldn't be able to cut it. Um... And I don't even know how to cut it on Call of Duty because I I don't play Call of Duty. Have you ever played it before? I I pretty sure I rented it once on Redbox way back maybe eight years ago. Trying to see if I could get into it. I do love the graphics. I like watching people play every once in a while. But I feel like we've probably mentioned this before in previous episodes. But after like the Nintendo sixty four was kind of the top of the um buttons controls for me <laughs> whatever you want to say that but yeah, i feel like there's so many buttons you have you to go. yeah it's too complex like i just don't have the the patience to sit down and, and learn a game where you have to push 80 buttons to be able to do everything that you need to do um most of the games i play i like to be able to kind of like arcade style where you can play for five ten minutes and walk away and you're done you don't have to go back and start over except for like Mario brothers and stuff like that. But even then, like the old school Mario, you have to be able to finish it in one sitting. You couldn't really save it back in the day. I know everyone's geeked out right now because the new, right, right. The new call of duty just came out. Yeah. It came out a couple of weeks ago or something like that. I yeah. haven't played it. I don't have it or anything like that, but um, I'd be interested yeah. to try it. I think it's them redoing one of them. Cause I think it already was, a game that was out and it's some kind of anniversary release. I don't know. I should have done some more research before talking about it. Me neither. I just, to me, it's like, what's the difference between playing this year's call of duty and the year before? Um, Like I like playing sport games, like playing back in the day. I like playing NCAA football. They don't make that anymore. Right? No, but they're bringing it back. Okay. And I will have, a game system where I can play that once it comes out because I am so stoked for it. So that and Madden and stuff like that, everyone geeks out when the new version comes out and it's like super expensive. And then three months later, it's on clearance for 10 bucks. So for me, I'm like, do I really need to go buy the day it comes out? Like the old, the year version from the year before is pretty similar. I don't understand. Yeah. So I wouldn't drop the money to get it. Like the day it comes out, I always waited until it went on sale. Um, and it actually is kind of fun sometimes playing the old versions because there's a lot of players that are no longer around that you yeah. can play with. So I don't know if that's the same appeal when it comes to Call of Duty. Cause like I said, I don't play it. So I'd, if you gave me a Call of Duty from three years ago or one today, I don't know if I would notice or care for the difference. I will say Modern Warfare 2 is an amazing game. That was the one I was really into and played online and all that. And this, I'm not a big gamer. But during this time of year, going into Thanksgiving and around my birthday, for some reason, I really want to play video games. Well, I think it. I think the weather changing, getting cold, 
it's time to stay indoors. And right. I got the same way with like wanting to watch movies at home, stuff like that. It's hard to want to be in the house when it's light outside at nine o'clock at night and it's hot outside. Like you just want to be outside. But this time of year, it's kind of like, okay, at least for me, my mind shifts to, to wanting to be indoors. So that's probably what it is. But what what I will always play around this time, for some reason it's a tradition, is to play the old GoldenEye from N64. See, that one, and that's maybe why I don't like Call of Duty. I never, and I've told you this before, I never got into GoldenEye Friends and I think that came out like in 97-ish, like as a junior in high school. So that was like Mario Kart and GoldenEye were the two games everybody was playing. And I loved Mario Kart and I could play that for hours um, back then. But GoldenEye, I tried and tried and tried and I just couldn't get into it. I just, the first shooter, is that what they call it? First shooter? First person shooter, yeah. First person shooter games. I just, I just don't like killing people, Brandon. <laughs> Good for you. Just the, just the fake throw people. Throw shells at them. Just Yeah, throw shells at them. They don't really die though, right? Right. So, well, I'd be interested to know. Maybe we should have asked our guest this, but what a person in the military's take is on a game like that? Because I could see it going one of two ways. Could be maybe some of that. I don't know. Is maybe triggering, or I, I don't know. Sure. I mean, that's another topic too. Is um, the PTSD stuff? Some some people, it's it's it affects them. You know, their daily lives and. Um, somebody like my grandpa, he, who was in World, uh, World War II and even um, got injured, he had a he was walking alongside a tank and it ran over a landmine and he woke up in a ditch like the next however many hours later, um, wow. basically partially deaf from it and all that stuff. But um, I remember Saving Private Ryan came out back in the late '90s and a lot of uh, people were having a hard time watching it. But he's like, I don't care. And it was kind of fun because we I was with my my friend asked him about it when he's at our house one day and he's like, I don't care to talk about it, you know. And he just sat there for like two hours just telling us war stories. It's super fun um to hear stories from the military. And it'd be fun. It'd be fun to even have a podcast with Helen just talking about crazy military stories. I wonder if a new game comes out and more people go and sign up for the military. I wonder if there's any correlation. Oh, if there's any that motivates people or inspires them to join the military, thinking yeah. that's the way it's going to be. I don't know. It I've, kind of glorifies it or, or makes it, you know, inspires someone that that's what they want to do. I don't know. I feel, feel like I've, somebody is your, your intention of going to the military. <laughs> I don't know if that's the right way to go about it, but yeah, I could see that some sort of correlation between playing a game like that and wanting to be a part of, I'm sure. I'm sure it, it's inspired some kids to want to join the military. Um, I feel like I've seen either YouTube clips or something like that where the military has used games like Call of Duty for training purposes, yeah. kind of the VR type stuff. Um, well, when we have Alan on next time, we'll have to we'll have to ask him about it. His his thoughts on it. Maybe he'll. He'll give us a follow-up stuff and let us know once he hears us, but let's listen to our interview with him. So we're happy to have Alan Rosenham back with us today. He came on the podcast, I guess it was our first year, right? And talked to us about the vault. Yeah. 
and we decided to bring him back for kind of a Veterans Day episode, since that's Alan's area of expertise, and thought we should talk about Fort Douglas, which is a really cool place here in Salt Lake. Yeah, thanks for having me back, guys. Anytime. Alan, what have you been up to since we talked last? Just a quick quick download for for everyone. Well, since uh, since we last talked, I moved clear across the country. I am in the I'm currently on active duty in the army, and I was in North Carolina, and I just moved to Washington. So I, a little bit of a little bit of a scenery change and a little bit of a job change, but I'm really liking it. And time zone change, right? Oh, huge time zone change. But I've also had several time zone changes in the last six months, so you know it's not not anything new. Kind of from our initial discussion before recording. Being flexible, ready to go when called upon is something very important in your line of work. Oh, for sure. What is your um, long-term plans with with the military? Long-term plans, stay in for at least 20 years and uh, hopefully retire. And uh, then after that, be a school teacher and tell army stories of back in the day when I was cool and young and got to shoot guns and jump out of airplanes and get paid to do it. Heck yeah. I take that class. Yeah. So how long have you been in? I've been in 12 years. I was in the reserves for the first six years. And then the last six years I've been on active duty. So does that reserve time count towards your 20 years? A little bit. There's a complex math equation that determines it. When I went on active duty, the six years that I had spent, which included a year long deployment ended up being about 18 months. So I, I have about 13 years till retirement right now. 13, eh, not too far away. A little yeah, bit no. fast. So that was always my goal, not to be in the military for 20 years, but to retire young and teach school as well. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't have all the cool stories of jumping out of airplanes and stuff like that. I've shot guns before. How about that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've yeah. shot a machine gun as well. An M- M16, is that what it's called? I've shot one of those before, but probably not as cool as your stories i mean i i don't want to brag but you know you just... <laughs> <laughs> brag a little bit you've, you've earned that right yeah yeah the uh my favorite gun that i've shot is the 50 cal the m2 designed oh, wow. designed in ogden utah by john moses browning is that like shooting a grenade launcher uh it's a little smaller than a grenade launcher <laughs> but it's uh it's huge yeah the the 50 cal it's a, the bullets are a half an inch uh half an inch in diameter by like what two and a half or three inches long. And uh, when you shoot it, it sounds like you've got a big garbage can full of quarters. It's just like a shunka, 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 shunka. So it's not like the movies, but it's cooler than the movies. We'll be right back. You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step guide to starting your podcast today. Oh, I I bet that would... What would you estimate a round, like a civilian buying in a round, just one round of like 50 five, caliber? 
five bucks. Five yeah. bucks. Every time you're shooting five bucks, five bucks, five bucks. Five yeah. Bucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I have a friend who has a 50 cal sniper rifle and he shoots it every six months and he shoots like 10 rounds and that's it <laughs> because it costs him 50 bucks each time. Oh my goodness. Wow. Oh, anyways. Well, that's not the reason we have you on, but <laughs> oh, man, <am> <laughs> we yeah. could just do a whole episode of, of your stories. <laughs> So we'll plan that for another time. I could tell stories, but you know, this is your podcast. I don't want to. <laughs> right. I was going to say that's not the reason we have you on here. We're here to no. talk no, we talk about something else. A, a whole episode just to hear your stories. And I think people listen to it still, but, but we did invite you to come talk to us about Fort Douglas and uh, tell us your connection with that. And what, uh, what interests you so much about that place? All right. So uh, being in the army wasn't an accident. Something I wanted to, do since I was about six years old and growing up in the Salt Lake Valley. I grew up in, I lived in Midvale till I was 10 then moved out to Kearns. Uh, Kearns was a, was a pretty, I mean, you guys, did you guys talk about camp Kearns in one of your, yeah. You talked about camp Kearns in one of your episodes. Yeah. A few and, months ago. Uh, a few months ago. Yeah. That was this year, talk, right? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying. I'm, I apologize. I'm still catching up on your episodes, being out of the country and not having good internet. <laughs> The, uh, so growing up at Camp Kearns and finding out about the history of Camp Kearns intrigued me from when I was 10 years old. And then when I was, was in seventh grade, so I was like 11 or 12, there on the door of the band room, there was an advertisement for a fife and drum corps. It was a bunch of, the picture was a bunch of guys in Civil War uniforms. And it said, talk to, talk to this kid and meet at Fort Douglas on a Saturday. And I said, Oh, Fort Douglas. I don't know what Fort Douglas is. I know what Camp Kearns was. So I asked my parents to drive me to Fort Douglas. And uh, it ended up being a civil war reenactors group that did uh, the, the older guys had civil war guns and they had cannons and they had uniforms and they wanted young kids to be the fifers and the buglers and the drummers, just like they had in the civil war. And so I hung out with them for a few weeks and then decided that I wanted to buy a civil war uniform and a bugle and, you know, play the bugle boy. But as I, as I went up there, it wasn't just show up and play the bugle. I, w- I would visit the museum and going up there every week for shoot, almost two years. Uh, really, I, I really had a lot of chances to explore Fort Douglas and got a real deep love for it. Found out a lot of trivia about it. I found out a lot of the historical nuggets like the the cemetery uh what fort douglas did during world war ii and what happened after world war ii when the army started closing down bases so what are some of the interesting trivia you learned about it that you could share with us so one of the one of the uh it was one of the earlier forts in the in the utah territory at the time but it came 20 years after camp floyd was established so the the Mormon war that where the president sent troops out because there was a, the federal government was worried about an uprising in Utah. So the troops marched out to, to camp Floyd, which is out West of Utah Lake uh, in 1862, the, uh, the army decided to set up a camp in Salt Lake city because they're kind of worried about potential Southern sympathizers in, in Salt Lake for some reason. So they selected a site east of Salt Lake City. Uh, Senator Stephen Douglas, who you might 
remember from the Lincoln Douglas debates, uh, he was an early sponsor of it. So they named the fort after him and they established Western troops there. So one of the regiments was the third California regiment. And that was the name of the civil war reenactors group that I was in. Uh, the volunteers from California and Nevada were there to watch over, watch over the Mormons. As they said it, you know, there's the headquarters of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints was in Salt Lake. Uh, then after the war, it became, they, they, they were there to guard the railroad. Uh, the, the Union Pacific and Central Pacific railroads converged in Ogden, which at the time was a one-day walk from Salt Lake City. They, the troops were posted there to, to guard over the railroad and help man it in times of low manning. Uh, and then after that, it became a headquarters, a, a regimental post. The 3rd California evolved into another regiment. I forget what regiment, but as they were stationed there, it, uh, the, the names of the units changed names until you got to World War I and troops were moved elsewhere. Uh, after that, Fort Douglas became kind of a, an internment camp. Uh, my great-grandpa, who was a German immigrant, he never got to stay there, but he would tell us stories about people that he knew that got temporarily moved to to Fort Douglas because it was kind of a, oh, we need to watch watch out for German immigrants who might still have German sympathies. So it, it was convenient to have them there where there were army troops, but it wasn't like a, you know, it wasn't like the World War II internment camps like Topaz, like we built for the Japanese citizens. Right, more just a watching place. Yeah, than- yeah. Just like a, a check-in, like make sure that one thing that I just did not comprehend until about 10 years ago is just how unpopular World War I was because one of the biggest ethnic groups in the U.S. were Germans who didn't really think that Germany was doing anything wrong during mm-hmm. World War I. <laughs> so the, once the U.S. got into World War I, they wanted to make sure that this sympathy for Germany didn't turn into animosity against the United States. That makes sense. Um, well, going back, I've heard going back to them where they built the facility, it wasn't originally supposed to be like in Salt Lake City. It was supposed to be nearby, but um, I think his name was Connor. Can't, can't remember the guy's name. Just was like, yeah, nope. Colonel Patrick Connor. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. He's just like, nope, we're going right here. And basically became a, uh, what's the word when uh, someone stays in your house and not supposed to be there? Like a squatter. 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 Yeah. Basically squatted and took over that part of the, the, the valley, right? Yeah. Yep. And what Patrick Connor wanted, he wanted, there were two things that he wanted. He wanted uh, to have a shooting range right there at the post. And so they would use a uh, pretty sure Red Butte Canyon up there. They would use that as their shooting range and they would shoot artillery up there. And then he wanted a parade ground that looked right at the Salt Lake temple. And he put a big, huge, like 30 pound cannon pointed right at the salt lake temple it didn't have the range that it would have been able to hit downtown salt lake but it was entirely a symbolic yeah we're watching you kind of thing. yeah so if you go up there and you look at the parade ground at up at president's i think it's called president's circle still uh it's now all university of utah housing but there's a parade field that's now a soccer field ultimate an ultimate frisbee field and you can look you'd have to look through some buildings but you can see how it's oriented right towards temple square and just imagine a giant cannon sitting there at the end of that parade ground. And that is 1862 Fort Douglas. Sounds kind of cool. They should bring that cannon back. 
it might be in the museum now. So oh, yeah. probably take a look at it. Yeah, for full <laughs> transparency, Nate and I have not yet visited. We really need to make a trip, but it's I think it's opened again, but it was closed for quite a while, at least the museum during the pandemic and for, I think even in the last year, still was closed. But as far as like military use, did it, it, it was operating right until early nineties. Am I? Yeah, it, it actually, it's, it's still operating. So the, the national guard was in charge of it. The, there was a, the 96th infantry division, which was a world war one division that got turned into a, a support command, meaning they would only deploy uh, administrators, uh, people who did paperwork, mailmen, stuff like that. Uh, so it it turned into, went from an active duty post to a National Guard post to now there's Army Reserve Station there. Uh, my old unit that was down in Pleasant Grove is now up there uh, in the, the bigger buildings that are just to the southeast of the museum. So it's not it's not an active fort. Nobody lives in the barracks there anymore. It's where uh, part-timers can come and they do their weekend drills, the one weekend month, two okay. weeks a year that you used to hear in the commercials, but it's all support. They had uh, like 50 acres or something. The buildings are all from the 19, 1915 to 1920 era. It's one of the most beautiful places I've ever been uh, on a military base. Uh, we had family pictures taken there one year. Yeah. It's really quiet because there's like 30, reserve active reserve troops there during the week so you can go up there and not see anybody for weeks at a time and then when they have their weekend drill it'll be full of people yeah i think i've only driven through the area so i've never like stopped and visited the museum like brandon said or walked on the grounds too much so um yeah it is pretty and it's just right there on basically university of utah campus right and so is it is that what I'm mistaken is maybe it was like in the late nineties when university of Utah kind of took over, are they in charge of the grounds or is it still, or am I getting my facts mixed up? If well, so if you have your facts mixed up, then I do too. So I don't feel bad. There's a, from what I remember when the Olympics happened in 2002, the state of Utah took over the North part, which was the, the nice houses, the old houses, the museum, uh, the museum used to be given or used to belong to the national guard. And then the state of Utah took it over and sometime in the mid two thousands, that's when the university of Utah took over the housing at least and the old Fort theater. But the Fort theater is one of the ROTC buildings now for the university of Utah. So I don't know the exact relationship there. It's partially owned by the army, partially owned by the university of Utah. And then uh, as buildings, from what I remember as buildings become unusable by the army, the contract with the state of Utah is that they just be handed over to the university of Utah so that the university can do whatever they want with it. And since it's a state school, the relationship between the Utah national guard and the university of Utah doesn't seem to be a complex one, but yeah, I haven't, I haven't uh, dealt with the, that level of contracting yet in my career. I think that makes more sense. Yeah. That it's not like they just kind of handed some of the responsibilities over to University of Utah and the state of Utah. Um, that makes sense. Yeah, I just just opened up the Wikipedia page and <laughs> <laughs> it uh, yeah, there have been some attempts to relocate 
the center, the Armed Forces Reserve Center, a law requires the property to be given to the University of Utah without charge once the military declares a surplus. Yeah, so that makes sense. That tracks. Yeah, you were mentioning the cemetery. So I, I guess I'm mistaken. I thought that the cemetery was closer to the Salt Lake Cemetery. Is there a portion over there or is there just the one Fort Douglas Cemetery? There, the Fort Douglas Post Cemetery is on the east side, like the southeast side of the post. Yeah. And it's a, it's a civil war relic. They, it was first built. Well, shoot. Now I'm reading straight off the Wikipedia page. Yeah. It was first built in 1862 because, you know, the army was a terrible place to be in and guys died of exposure and stuff. And then in 1864 soldiers erected a monument dedicated to the memory of the soldiers killed during the Bear River massacre. And uh, then they've just been in people have been buried there since uh, there are there's I remember there was some controversy when I was in high school because a I think a University of Utah student was chronicling all the headstones and they had World War Two prisoner of war. KI, or, you know, World War Two prisoners of war who had died, Japanese and German prisoners of war. And some of the headstones had swastikas on them and they were pretty, pretty shocked by that. I don't know if there still are those headstones, but be an interesting follow-up to find out. Yeah. I'd heard that and wondered if we went and visit, if we could still find them. But the last time I was there for a tour, they talked about the headstones. Well, don't they also, isn't there a company that does a ghost tour? that's what i was there for was a ghost tour oh okay that's another interesting thing is that i've heard a lot about the cemetery and also portions of the fort douglas itself have a lot of haunted activities that stuff you've come across at all or heard about alan i haven't seen it but i've definitely heard of it Uh, in fact when i was in the the old third california this is back you know 1990 90 dating myself 96 97 there was a channel 2 news article about the ghosts of fort douglas and one of the guys who was in charge of our little fife and drum corps thing he he played the ghost and they did some they told some stories about you know people would make photocopies on the copy machines and the photocopies would end up having signatures and they would look up those signatures and they were of soldiers who had died on the post uh one time somebody was making photocopies and Faces started showing up on the photocopies and uh, there's always the usual, they, they hear footsteps and they hear taps being played when nobody's playing bugles and you hear guys in formation out on the parade ground. Never saw, never heard it for myself, but heard quite a few people talk about that. How the ghosts of the old third California are still at Fort Douglas. Yeah. I've heard from someone that, they used to do a lot of ghost investigations there, but they had to stop because it was getting too dangerous, too violent. Ah, so I don't know. Some scary... like the ghosts were getting too dangerous and too violent. Yeah, that's, or... <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the point. Was that it was the activity was too too dangerous too intense. or whatever. I don't, Interesting. I don't know about that, well, but... with the you got a whole military military cemetery there with Union soldiers. German soldiers from World War One, Japanese they're, and German soldiers from ghosts. World War Two. That's it. They're they're trained and they're ready and they're angry. <laughs> exactly. That's not the kind of ghost I want to encounter. You don't want to meet trained soldiers anyway. But now that they're dead and they're <laughs> invincible and they have nothing left to live for, <laughs> nothing left to live for. Oh man! <laughs> no first pun, pun of the episode. Yeah. Yes, you were the one to do it. Thanks. Yes. <laughs> yes. 
the, the museum is uh, so shifting gears a little bit. Now they're talking about like uh, stuff that's walking around. When I would, when I would go to the museum, I'd go to the museum weekly for a while. And even after I stopped being in the, the civil war group, I would, I would ride my bike from Kearns up to the museum just for fun, just to see the museum Wow. You know, a Saturday where my mom and dad were off doing something else or they were at work. I'd, I'd ride my bike out there and just hang out at the cemetery, hang out at the, not cemetery, hang out at the museum and to watch the museum over the last 25, almost 30 years go from a little one room museum to they expanded it uh, to, to put a Navy exhibit in probably, you know, 1996, 97, 2000, uh, they have artifacts from the USS Utah, which is one of the only two ships sunk at Pearl Harbor that have not been raised. The USS Utah and the USS Arizona, they never raised and refloated. All the other ones they put back into service and they were able to fight in World War II. Uh, had artifacts in the USS Salt Lake City, which was a cruiser in the Korean War. Uh, they have, they, it was, it was really small, but really really packed full of stuff and to watch that expand to two whole buildings and the quality of their, their artifacts, the quality of the, of the, uh, were they called Ex exhibits quality of the exhibits with different uniforms going from the history, 1862 uniforms, 1890 uniforms, world war II uniforms to the modern day global war on terror uniforms. It was really cool. Uh, last time we were in salt Lake was last April and, I wish I could have seen it, but it was, it was closed because of COVID, but it was, uh, it's really neat to, to watch it expand and grow and improve and watch how the volunteers have taken great care of it. And you get invested people that love what they do and they want to honor the history. And, uh, I think next time, next time I move, we're definitely going to stop in Salt Lake and try to get back into it and see the museum. I want to see it now. <laughs> yeah. So. Just seeing the pictures that they have online i mean seeing the old tanks the helicopters it's it just shows you a, a very different time with the military and it's it's really cool looking yeah what is your yeah, if i remember answer? right one of the tanks at least one of the tanks i mean this is this is spotty memory from a 12 year old but one of the volunteers i think he was actually the manager of the museum or something his name was jess mccall and he was seemed to me he was an older guy when when I was there as a young kid and so he might not be with us anymore but he owned several of the tanks there and uh, like they were his personal collector's items and he had one tank that I remember that was out at airport number two uh there's a little national guard post there that I think is now just uh just helicopters but you know growing up in Kearns and having airport number two right there I remember once in elementary school we watched uh my my teacher's husband was in the utah national guard he was a paratrooper and we went to airport number two and we watched the paratroopers of the 19th special forces group do an airborne operation and i think the story goes is it was super super windy and a bunch of the guys ended up breaking their legs and none of us found out until weeks afterwards reading the newspaper but i remember seeing a tank at airport number two and wondering what the heck that was for and then finding out that the guy who owned it was the guy that was the manager of the museum at Fort Douglas. So all these cool connections that just seem so random, but end up being really cool. What do you think from, I mean, it's been a while since you've been back there, but what was your favorite thing from the museum? 
oh, my favorite thing. Uh, it, it changed over the years, just de- depending on how old I was and what I was interested in. When I was young, really young, you know, 10, 12, 13, seeing the Civil War uniforms was, that was all incomes. And that was, that was my entire life. And looking at the, the cavalry uniforms, just how, how cool the horse riders looked. Uh, that was, that was cool. And then as I got older, 15, 16, 17, the exhibits on the Navy, the USS Utah little section that they had, the, uh, the USS Salt Lake city, seeing that cruiser. And then as I got older, the architecture, you know, when I was in my twenties, when I was going to college, walking around and, and appreciating how people lived in the 1860s, walking around president circle and seeing the houses and looking into them. And as I became an adult and had to you know, live like an adult and realize that you got to find food, you got to find fun things and seeing how a, a military post operated as a little city. There was a chapel that was right there. They had a movie theater. They had a little post exchange where you could buy your food and supplies and uniforms. Uh, I think if I were to go back now, I'd probably go back full circle to seeing <laughs> the uniforms in the museum just because I've, I've done all that stuff, you know, I've, I've seen, I've been on Navy ships, I've ridden horses, I've been in a cavalry unit, I, you know, and so all the stuff that I've just clicked off my bucket list, going back and appreciating the things that I loved as a, as a young kid, I, that, that's, that's what I'd go back and look forward to the most. You've gone and lived all those experiences now, everything you hope to do, you're now living in it. Yeah. Yeah. If 12 year old me could look at 37 year old me, he'd go, wow, I'll never be able to do that. And then when he finds out that, yeah, he became that and is still interested in things 12 year old me was interested in. Thanks for a great story. It's got to be a a book or a movie based on that concept at some point. And if not, you need to write it. Yeah, we'll see. I'm not a writer. I'm (laughs) more of a raconteur. So it's really cool to hear about you've been able to go and live live those experiences it's it's crazy thinking about if the things i was interested in when i was 10 or 12 I ended up doing which i have it but it's it's really awesome that you were involved in like those reenactments from such a young age and exploring the museum and what it's what it's turned into you for uh, your career your path. yeah i don't want to say that fort douglas is responsible for the man i am today but it was certainly an inspirational part. And yeah, like you said, 10-year-old 10, 10 me is interested in the things that 37-year-old me is interested in. And you know, any, time, any chance that I'd have to go back to Fort Douglas, if, if work let me, I'd go back in a heartbeat and just enjoy my time there. If anybody else wants to go visit in order, I'd recommend the museum if it's open. Uh, number two, going into the soldier circle, if they would let you, that's where the, the reservist units still are. Those buildings are all original barracks from the early 20th century, and they have a, a beautiful old parade ground there. And then number three, president circle, where all the officers housing were, uh, was, which is now University of Utah student housing. And then after that, you know, just wander around, look for ghosts, go visit the chapel, go visit the theater. <laughs> There, there. You just got to find them. That's it. Nice. The friendly yeah. ghost. Where are the friendly ghost at, right? Yeah. <laughs> Probably not buried there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it would be really great. I mean, I know you have a busy schedule, but if you ever make it back out to visit, give us a, a shout. We'll go take a look at it with you. Oh, you definitely. I, yeah, I'll give you a tour. If you've, if you've, you've already gone and 
Yeah. If you've done a ghost tour, I couldn't give you a ghost tour. So you're already there, <laughs> but I'd love to show you around and talk more about all the stuff that little 10 to 15 year old me was nerding out about back in the day and see all the new things too, right? Exactly. Yeah. Seeing, seeing the, how the museum is twice as big as it was, which means twice as good, right? <laughs> well, we appreciate you, Alan, and, and talking with us about it. But I think, you know, again, in the spirit of why we're doing this episode, thank you for your service and what you do. It's a very selfless act. Maybe for you, it doesn't feel that way because it was something that you've always loved, right? But for for all of us that, you know, benefit from, from those out protecting us and our country, uh, just want to say thank you. Well, thank you guys. And thank you again for having me on. It's always a pleasure to talk with you guys. Yeah. We look forward to another opportunity. I'm sure we can come up with other things, even if it's just you swapping some, some military stories with us for an episode. We'll give you a oh, call. Yeah. Be happy to do that. Yeah. Next Veterans Day, maybe. <laughs> well, that was great having Alan on again. Uh, can't believe it's been that long since we last interviewed him or had him on the podcast. Can't believe he still listens to us. That's, that's, anybody that listens to us. He's, he's he must be bored. He must be really bored. Have nothing to do. Yeah. Um. But I do like you. You mentioned to him. I do appreciate those who are willing to serve. Um. I know other countries. It's a it's a mandate that you have to serve for a certain amount of years in the military. And I'm really glad that we've never gone to that point. That we've had enough people volunteer. Yeah, like to, that band, the BTS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a month ago, they saw an article or something that they're being mandated, right? Yeah, and we've. To, I think we've got a. I mean, seems like we have a pretty stacked military. Pretty. They don't have a shortage of people. There's never had to be a draft since long, long ago, because people are willing to go and put their life on the line. I'm not one of those people. I. I wish I could be, but. I'm grateful for those that are willing to serve. Yeah, I just, I, I don't think I could, could handle it. I don't think I'm cut from that cloth. So appreciate people like him and everyone who has served and uh, continues to serve. So lazy bums like me don't have to. And for our, for Veterans Day, we are running a Veterans Day discount on the podcast listen to our whole catalog for free so please share with all your veteran friends that they can uh hear the podcast at no cost yeah and if you're a veteran and you see us in person we may give you a sticker if we have one on us yeah we'll give free. you a free sticker we should we free should sticker. send a sticker out to alan if he wants one yeah and they should slap it on the side of one of their tanks when they're out in duty there you go yeah, that will we'll, scare we'll up it even more so of course, everybody gets the podcast for free, right? But if you're a veteran and you want a sticker, we'll give you a free sticker. There you go. go. Yeah, Toppin' Allen made me really interested in going and visiting Fort Douglas. It's kind of fun to, to, to know the history of how it came to be and how it's developed over the years. But um, it's like many other places in Utah that are really cool to visit. I just don't make the time to do it. And I think that's why this podcast has been awesome to do. Like we talked many times. We need to get um, back to more of the actually going and visiting places. Yes. We have yes. Not I was even, uh, I was even driving out to Twilla the other day and had to drive on the North side of Kennecott. And I'm like, 
see that thing a million times over my life and I still haven't yet to visit. So that's another place we need to go visit. Yeah, we need to do an episode there for sure. There's so many cool places to visit in Utah. We just kind of take that for granted since we, we live here. We'll get back to it. We'll get back to visiting places for sure. But it's always nice to have a, somebody like Alan who's been there that can just tell us about it. It makes life a little easier. Well, tell us what uh, what other places we should visit like this. If you have some extensive knowledge about a place. Or if you met one of the ghosts, angry ghosts at Fort Douglas, we want to hear about or it. Or anywhere, any angry ghosts. Anywhere, but Fort Douglas especially. And if you're here, <laughs> let us know. We'd love to talk with you and always an open invitation to someone if they want to come on the podcast. We try and schedule out guests and get some cool people to talk to, but that doesn't mean we won't take anyone that wants to be on, right? Sure. If you got something interesting to talk about, we'd love to talk with you. We want to talk about it. Thanks for listening to This Is A Place podcast. See you next week. Mm-hmm.